Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who has been writing about college and professional football for over 30 years. He has written and edited several NFL books and has worked for the National Football League writing and editing stories for NFL.com, the Super Bowl program, and other NFL publications. His latest book, NFL's 100, The Greatest Moments of the NFL's Century, relives a century's worth of the greatest games, personalities that have captivated football fans everywhere. NFL 100 takes you on a journey through the 100 most essential influential, and amazing moments in the league's history. It is a pleasure to welcome Craig Ellenport to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Craig. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's absolutely our pleasure. And before we took football, you were another one of the many former Stan Fischler interns that have made it in the business. What were some of the projects that you worked for the Maven, and what was the biggest thing you learned from Stan? Oh, gosh. And you're going back a long way, although I actually did email with him recently from uh, Israel in his <laughs> retirement. He's doing great. Uh, Stan was amazing. I was actually his first ever high school intern. Wow. Uh, you know, he, he had a stable of college interns who worked for him and helped me out. Uh, it, it was a pleasure. I helped research uh, a couple of um, encyclopedic NHL books that he did and also um, – Accompanied him several times for uh, Cablevision broadcasts of Islander and Devil games. Uh, helped him out, did some uh, post-game interviews for him. Um, a lot of fun. What I learned, always carry a pen or pencil with you. Always have the, uh, be ready to take notes and write something down when it strikes you and think of it. And uh, Just one of the greatest pros I've ever worked with. It's so funny because it, there's just the, the tree of Stan Fischler interns that have gone on is every single person I speak to in the industry at one point worked with Stan. And I'll never forget when uh, my wife and I were downsizing and moving from Comac, cleaning out my garage, I found uh, a book that I had when I was 12 years old, Hockey Stars of 1972. And in it, Stan thanked his intern, Frank Brown, who later became you know the head of... Uh, press and, and NHL PR, and uh, obviously a longtime uh, hockey writer as well. So I gave it to Frank during the Stanley Cup Finals, and he, he just cracked up. Um, That's great. So the forward of your book is by NFL Hall of Famer Troy Aikman, who talks about the first NFL game he attended, which, as he points yeah. out, may not rank as one of the greatest games in NFL history, but it did mean an awful lot to the Cowboys' future. Can you tell us about that particular game and what the importance to Troy Aikman was? Yeah, it was a great, great story. When, yeah. when he, and when he told it, when he, I was like, wow, I can't believe that. I, you know, he grew up in Oklahoma. So when I asked him uh, to write in the forward about his early experiences as, as a fan and going to games, uh, he said, I didn't go to an NFL game until my senior year of college. So as you, you know, everyone knows, he's at UCLA. He's the top prospect. He's going to be the number one draft pick in the NFL. And he goes to a Packers-Cardinals game in Arizona uh, during his Christmas break. It's the last regular season game of the NFL season. The Packers and the Cowboys are tied with the worst record in the NFL. The Packers have already told Troy Aikman, if we have the number one pick, we're taking you. And he didn't want to go. He was you know, a warm-weather guy. He was not excited about playing in the cold in Green Bay. And he goes to his first NFL game, 
the Packers are losing in the, in ha- in the first half, and Don Mejkowski, the magic man, <laughs> drives them from behind in the second half. He gets his first NFL game. He witnesses uh, his history unfolding by the Packers winning that game, clinching the number one draft pick for the Cowboys, and the rest is history. So cool. Do you remember the first NFL game you ever went to? Um, no, but I know it was a Giants game uh, in, uh, at, at the Yale Bowl. It was a New York Giants game when they played in Connecticut, which uh, I, I, I'm pretty confident I can tell you they lost. <laughs> yeah, my first was a, a Giant game at Yankee Stadium where Pete Gogolak kicked a game-winning field goal, which I never saw because I was behind a, a steel you know, girder, so I never saw it. Um, and that's, that's very funny because Pete Gogolak is in this book. Yes, as, he is. Uh, as you may know, and, you know, the AFL-NFL wars that he was involved in when he – sign when the Giants of all teams uh, poached him from the AFL. Absolutely. So I have to imagine storyboarding and, organiz- and organizing for this project was a daunting task. How did you go about creating the list of players, moments, teams, plays, uh, you know, business dealings? How, how did you go about first getting all that information to then try and rank it? Right. Well, it was, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it came up with this, this long, winding list. Uh, you know, the NFL has a, a chronological history in the NFL record and fact book, which I used to work on every year. Uh, that's an easy place to pick and choose moments that, that the league itself recognizes as important. Um, there are enough from my own history and recollection of going in and knowing that, that this should be in here or that should be in here. Um, I reached out to a number of NFL veteran NFL writers uh, to ask them, not for a really, really long list, but, you know, give me your top ten. And at least from that can get an idea of the, the order of some of the top items on the list. And, you know, after that I just started writing. And as I started writing, some things as I researched them uh, came, you know, became more important than others or less important but still important. But, but as I wrote is and researched these things is how, you know, I felt like, oh, that should – get bumped up a few spots higher on the list and things that you know, learned things that, that I didn't know at the time and uh, was very interested in and, uh, and, and, and meant more and, and felt more significant. You know, the, the other thing is, you know, this, this list is great, uh, you know, single moments in games, you know, famous games, the immaculate reception, the catch, uh, but it's also off the field things like the the hiring of commissioners and the name you know, P. Rozelle became commissioner. It doesn't get more important and historical than that. Um, but a lot of TV moments, you know, the birth of NFL films, the start of Monday Night Football. So, it, it, you know, the list is meant to be debated and argued. So I'm sure anybody can look at this list and, and question it or debate it. But I think it's a pretty representative list. It's so cool. Coming in at number one is a 1958 NFL championship game, dubbed by many as the greatest game ever played. It's funny because you hear so much made of maybe Bill Parcells' coaching tree or Bill Belichick's coaching tree where, you know, the head coach and you see all these different assistants that have gone on. You know, this game actually is probably the coaching tree of the NFL. Um, it <laughs> created so much natural interest, national interest. It actually may be the reason why the AFL was started. And I don't think uh, the importance of that game can ever be stressed enough. What was your reasoning for making this the number one moment? Well, you know, it's the, the first two reasons are, uh, you know, national te- you know, football, NFL on national television was not really, uh, hadn't really blossomed. It didn't blow up until the 60s, but this was what started it. 
and it was a nationally televised game that, that a lot of people around the country were watching. And then it just so happens to be tied at the end of regulation and go into sudden death overtime for the first time ever. There had never been an overtime game in the NFL, regular season or playoffs. And, I mean, most of the players didn't know what they were doing and what was going to happen next. So the suspense and the, 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 just the buzz over this game that, of course, had Hall of Fame players up and down both rosters for the Giants and Colts, uh, you know, created such a buzz around the country that it really jump-started the national fervor for the National Football League. And then, as you alluded to with the AFL, it, the excitement that this game created led to a number of wealthy businessmen around the country saying, you know what, I want to start, I want to buy an NFL team. I want to get in on this. But they couldn't because the NFL was not expanding at the time, and so they went off and started the AFL. So you can argue that the AFL doesn't happen without this game. And then after the AFL started and succeeded, that, of course, led to the merger. And, you know, the NFL, after the merger with, with 28 teams, was, you know, what we recognize now and, and started the, the unbelievable growth in the 70s of the NFL. You know, it's interesting because as a fan and someone who knows the history of the game, and in the back of my head, I knew it, but it actually took seeing these games back-to-back moments to realize that the head coach of both winning teams were the same, and that's <laughs> Weeb Eubank um, in Super Bowl three. So when weighing the importance of the merger between the AFL and NFL and Super Bowl three, which actually was the first time it was known as the Super Bowl, why did you place the Jets' win over the Colts ahead of the merger? Because had there been no merger, you don't have that game. Well, that's true. However, even though they even though they had the merger, look, when the, when the, when the AFL and NFL merged, nobody in the NFL expected the AFL teams to be as good as the NFL. So they said, okay, well, you know, we're forced to do this, and we'll make more money because we'll have more teams. But there's clearly there's still a rivalry, and the NFL looks at the AFL as the weak stepsisters. And of course, Joe Namath guarantees victory. Lost in, in the success of this game, as you mentioned, Weeb Eubank, the coach of both the Colts in 58 and the Jets in Super Bowl three, Weeb Eubank was very confident about this game. And his confidence, he carried over to his players. And, and it was, a, 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 of course, a team effort. I mean, the defense holding the, the, un, you know, the powerful Baltimore Colts to seven points was amazing. So, yes, the, the merger had already taken place, but this started the legitimacy of the AFL, and then just a few spots down on this list, of course, is Super Bowl four because it was still easy for a lot of NFL followers and, and supporters to look at the Jets as a fluke and that Super Bowl three as a fluke, and then the Kansas City Chiefs come around in Super Bowl four, also heavy underdogs, and they come back and beat the Minnesota Vikings, now that truly legitimized the AFL in the merger. You know, one of the, the things I loved, and the, the pictures are exquisite in this book, and for me uh, and, and people of my age, there was nothing better than NFL films because you just, uh, the second you say NFL films, anyone of my age immediately hear, you know, the first things you think of as the frozen tundra and John Facenda's voice. Um, tell uh, people that might be too young to know how important NFL films was actually to the NFL. Well, I mean, just think about it. Can you even today, when we some, it's easy to take NFL films for granted, 
we don't see that kind of uh, imagery, um, theatrical portrayal of highlights in any other sport that we watch. Uh, you know, Ed Sable started NFL films, and then his son, Steve Sable, picked it up and carried the torch. And what they've done with the combination of, you mentioned John Facenda, the, the writing, uh, the script writing, the narration, the adding music in the background. Mm-hmm. Steve Sable always talked about, and I, and I had the, the, the great honor of getting to work with him and know him a little bit, and to hear him talk about the importance of music in, in putting together NFL highlights the same way music is so important in, in movie making. Um, he dramatized and mythologized pro football. And really, mythologized is the right word here. Um, put it in the kind of light that every fan watched and could feel an emotion about. And, you know, it was funny, there was a great story as I was researching this and talking to people. George Hallis, Papa Bear Hallis of the Bears, was one of the owners and coaches and people around the league, old school guys, who were not happy about NFL films. They didn't, when it started, they didn't want the cameras down on the field. There was, that was never the case before. And he was very vocal in his uneasiness of NFL films coming in and doing all this. But by the time he retired, he sent Ed Sable a note uh, and, and a letter thanking him and talking about how he had realized he was wrong and that he recognized that NFL films was the keeper of the flame. And there's a sign in NFL Films headquarters in New Jersey that says "Keepers of the Flame," and that's what they are. Really amazing stuff. Yeah, I, you know, I always love seeing their shows. It was amazing. Uh, one person that I really didn't know anything about, and I find fascinating, is Kenny Washington. Can you tell our, our listeners a little bit about Kenny? Well, the, the first African American football player in the NFL uh, in the modern era, because uh, there was a brief time when. There were African-Americans playing uh, in the early days, and you even had Fritz Pollard, who was a player coach uh, in the early days in the 1920s. Um, but then there were none. And at the same time that baseball, even a year before Jackie Robinson and baseball uh, uh, broke the color barrier, Kenny Washington was part of the breaking of the color barrier in the NFL. And it was, it was Kenny Washington and Woody Strode from UCLA who played for the Los Angeles Rams and it, a lot of people back then who, who remembered and watched UCLA football said that Kenny Washington was a better athlete than Jackie Robinson, who also came out of UCLA. But obviously a very important moment for the NFL and the breaking of the color barrier is Kenny Washington, Woody Strode, but then also uh, they weren't in the NFL yet, but the Cleveland Browns were part of the All-American Football Conference, AAFC. Uh, you know, they broke the color, line at the color barrier at the same time, and they had Hall of Famers and Marion Motley and Bill Willis. So uh, very obviously very important and in the top ten, of course, on this list. It's interesting because if you ask people, obviously everyone knows Jackie Robinson, um, you know, diehard hockey fans also know, you know Willie O'Ree. I-, I don't know how many NFL fans actually know the name Kenny Washington, so I found that fascinating. Um, and, and, you say, and injuries injuries cut his career short. And, of course, I mean, you talk about Jackie Robinson, and, of course, he didn't, not only did he break the color barrier, but he was a Hall of Fame player. So... That had a lot to do with it, and you're right. In, in, in many ways, it's not fair that Kenny Washington, you know, he, he gets he gets his place in history, but obviously people don't think of him the same way by any stretch. Yeah. So, you know, lots of giant moments, 19 and 20, two Super Bowl wins, um, a play that um, 
play itself compared to Dwight Clark's catch, Franco's immaculate reception, Starbucks Hail Mary on merits of play itself. You know, where would you rank David Tyree's catch in Super Bowl 42, which I can't even believe is 40 is 12 years ago already. Yeah, so that, that is amazing. Well, and, and the thing is, I don't have Tyree's catch in and of itself in here, although right. if, if you wanted to rank just the plays themselves, it's, it's high up. But it's really that whole, that whole season, that, that whole final in the Super Bowl, because the significance of that game overall had more to do with the Patriots, of course, than it did with the Giants winning, that they, they stopped the perfect season. And, you know, the, the idea of everything leading up to that game what happened in the final regular season game that got the, even though they lost to the Patriots, it sort of gave the Giants a little confidence heading into the playoffs. And then the Tyree catch, of course, and it was unbelievable. But yeah, that, that, that was here on this list is a culmination of everything that result that that play resulted in. And it had a lot to do. And, and I'll, I'll transition this because it was important because it was the Patriots almost perfect season. And that's why the Miami Dolphins' perfect season I have probably higher than a lot of people might otherwise think. My Miami Dolphins' perfect season uh, at five on this list. And people just take that team for granted. And the more I looked into that one, it was fascinating to me. Because, you know, you think of, when you think of that team, when you think of Super Bowl seven, the only thing you ever see is the highlight that was the worst play for the Dolphins in that whole season, which was, of course, the botched field goal right. uh, with Gary Premian and looking silly and giving up a touchdown to the Redskins. And the thing about it is they, went, they were 14-0 in the regular season, 2-0 in the playoffs, about to cap a perfect season, the only ever perfect season in the NFL. If they kick that field goal with a little over two minutes left in the game, they win the game 17-0. They finished 17 and 0 with a 17 nothing Super Bowl win, and there's never been a shutout in Super Bowl history. And because of that silly play, we, you know, they, the Dolphins, got gypped out of that unbelievable honor and feat. And if they had finished 17 and 0, had the only shutout ever in the Super Bowl, and a perfect record, 17 and 0 final score, I think fans would look back with much more reverence to that team. Oh, absolutely. And we had Mercury Morris, and we talked about that team. That team, people don't realize, led in everything, you know, giveaways. Take yeah. all, you know, it was just a, a phenomenal. Um, one quick one before I let you go. Five years from now, all right, if you were redoing this book, where do you think Twitter and fantasy football would rank? Well, it's funny you say that. Uh, I, I'll, have to give some, I'll have to give Twitter some thought, but I actually, I don't want to say I regret it, but I have thought after this book came out, that fantasy football could and should have been in here. Uh, at number 100, I've got the Red Zone channel, which, for all intents and purposes, is all about fantasy, right? That channel was created for fantasy followers. So, um, yes, yeah, fantasy would be on the list. Um, Twitter, Twitter will hold off for now, but it is interesting, and we'll see. You know, obviously with Twitter streaming games as well, uh, it could have a place in the next 100 years. You never know. Craig, where can people get a hold of this great book? Oh, thanks. Uh, you know, anywhere books are sold, of course, and Amazon, uh, triumphbooks.com, uh, Barnes & Noble uh, makes a great holiday gift for sure. I hope everyone likes it. Thanks so much for your time tonight. I didn't realize you're, you're here local. We could have had you live in studio, but it, it's yeah. probably easier for you on the phone anyway, but we really appreciate it. 
You got it, Mark. It's a pleasure having me. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. You got it. Craig Ellenport, NFL 100, available now. We have, uh, books are sold.